Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, and Twitch. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is July 31st, 2022, and this is episode 147 of the workshop podcast. So how has everyone been? We haven't chatted in, what, 24 hours? So it's good to see you here. We uh, we may have a, a slight change of plans tonight. So um, we may do a an open chat conversation here. So if you have any questions, throw them up in the links. I know we had planned on having Joel in, just hasn't shown up yet. And I um, have to start the live stream within nine minutes so that everything goes good on Facebook or we end up having to restart the stream. So it's not a big deal. But anyway, let's get the stuff out of the way. And if Joel pops in as we go along, great. And if not, we will turn it into a uh, fly by the seat of our pants episode, which always turned out to be the best. Anyhow, so number one, if you are not part of the Telegram group, I, you're going to get tired of me saying this. You're absolutely going to get tired of me saying it, but you need to come by and join. It is the best place. I think we picked up two or three more people last night after the episode. I got a lot of really, really good feedback. So that was a, was a bonus, but it's just, you know, we don't want a group that's huge for the sake of being huge. What we want is <laughs> we want a group that is willing to work toward getting shit done and helping other people get shit done as well. We want to be that type that's there to give you a verbal, uh, metaphorical, and maybe even physical kick in the ass. And we want to be that group that's there to help you be the best you want to be and to do the best that you can do, whether that's with you know, your hobbies or preparedness or starting a business, whatever it happens to be. Okay. Next, I am working really hard at booking out the interviews coming up. We got a ton of interviews. Well, actually, I think I've only maybe booked three or four uh, weeks down now because, you know, the final four months of the year, I'm wide open getting ready to book. So if you've got recommendations or if you want to be on the show, that's all you got to do. Send me an email. Send me a PM on any one of the social links. Just does not matter whatsoever. Let me know and get me going. Uh, I, I would love to help you out there. Okay, next, uh, make sure, I'm sure Joel will be popping on here shortly. And anyway, if he doesn't, just make sure you check out FortressK9.com. I'm almost wondering if there might be some kind of technical thing on his end because I went to his website this afternoon, worked great yesterday, and now it's giving me some sort of WordPress error. So I hope that there's no power outage or anything there. Yes, Gunner, good to have you. Um, if anybody has any points of conversation or questions you want me to answer, throw them up there as I work my way through. Now, this afternoon, uh, well, today, actually, it's been really, really good. Um, honestly, it's been the first day that I've been able to really get out and push myself physically since I got through the COVIDs everybody loves so much. It was a great day. And I, so I told you the other night, I need to expand my fence. I need to move my fence so that I have room to get a skid steer in the backyard. So that was the first step, the first job I had to do in order to get all the other jobs coming after it. So that leads me to today's tool. And today's tool is the Fast 2K Expanding Post Foam. Now, if you guys haven't used that kind of stuff, first time I ever saw it was on Dirty Jobs for Micro. They used it for sealing off old mine shafts. But this stuff 
is the cat's ass. Now, everybody always says, oh, it's not going to hold up. Well, I got to tell you, the stuff I had in the ground has been down there for three years. It was as sturdy as the day I put it in. And I couldn't, I would either had to dig it out or I, I decided to chainsaw off below the ground and fill the dirt in because there was absolutely no reason, um, yeah, like to worry about it. I just, I needed to move some fence posts and they're still as good as the day I put them in there. So if anybody's wondering if that uh, expanding foam works for posts, you want to believe it. Now, I also did what they told me not to do. <laughs> and they say, just use it for line posts, but cement your corners and cement your gates. Well, I didn't. I used it for everything as a test, including a big ass, heavy old gate. And you know what? That is the post that held the best at all. They all held great, but that was the one that held the absolute best. So if you're wondering, it yeah, that stuff works really, really well. So if you're looking to pick it up, Again, toolmantim.shop is the easiest place you can check and say, hey, did Tim recommend any products there? Because it is definitely um, the way to go for sure. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, Ted McDonald said, did you see you were featured tonight on Soul's live stream? He had about 100 watching top 10 tool channels. Well, <laughs> I wish <coughs> there... I would abs it would be awesome if I had the time to watch everyone's live stream souls. If you guys don't know, you need to check him out. He's a great tool channel and he's really morphed into a um, looking out for the top deals kind of channel. So if you're looking uh, for another tool channel to follow, go by and check him out because he's basically built his channel from scratch over the last year, year and a half. Uh, he really focused on shorts and I, I believe he I think he might have just hit 7,500 subscribers. I might be wrong, Ted, if, if you know for sure, but I, I had to be blown away by it. So I went tonight. Uh, let's start with this. Anybody out there ever replace a toilet before? I'm sure lots of you have, but the guy, I, I ended up getting a phone call about four o'clock, which just completely set the whole day off, which is totally fine. That's part of being a property manager. And they said, hey, just want to let you know the toilet wasn't flushing. Like, okay, that's not a problem. Toilets sometimes don't flush. That's an easy repair. He goes, but I didn't call you to tell you the toilet wasn't flush. And he says, I called you to tell you that I broke the toilet. Okay. So where's this going? He said, well, what was happening was I was taking the lid off the back of the toilet to uh, uh, manually flush the toilet, right? It was great. No problem. Loved it. He said, but I dropped the lid. I thought, okay, well here, and it's a live, it's a long weekend in Canada. I thought, where are we heading with this? If, if the lid broke, well, that's fine. He goes, the lid hit the bowl and the bowl broke. So at four o'clock, I had to track a toilet down because even though I preach have toilets um, on hand, have things on hand, I didn't have one this time. I normally keep them in the wintertime because things freeze and crack. So when I get there, the lid of the toilet, he had dropped like the back of the tank lid, dropped it straight down in and put a hole almost big enough, probably big enough for a kid to put their head through in the bottom of the bowl without touching the rim of the bowl. It was the craziest thing I ever seen. So I called in a favor. I got one of my hardware store uh, buddies to go in and um, get me a toilet. I also tried to get extra bolts. They didn't have any extra bolts. That was fine. I said, I wanted to take extra bolts. I wanted to take an extra wax seal with me. All of that. Well, so I go over. I get ready to put the toilet down. And the old bolts are seized into place. That's no big deal. Been there, done that. What I usually do is just take a hammer, give it a couple of good whacks around the porcelain side of things, and that'll just crack the two sides out. You can pull the whole toilet out, and then that kind of loosens up those old bolts. You can cut them off, whatever. So that's what I did. The problem is the whole damn bottom of the toilet smashed. 
cut my hand, cut my knees because I went over in shorts and uh, flip flops because, you know, that's what we do to change our toilets, right? So here I am and <laughs> I was trying to drain the water out of the toilet. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll flush it and it'll go down the bowl. Well, I did except the water in the back of the tank, all this nice bright blue water flushed out through the front hole of the toilet. <sighs> so it was a fun time. It only took me about an hour. Get it all put into place, brand new bolts in. The new bolts are too short for the toilet. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not good. So I'm thinking, what are we going to do? Because there was no extra bolts at the hardware store. So it's not like I could go back and get any. So I think, well, the old bolts worked. So I go back and I find the old bolts. Turns out one of them was long enough. One of them wasn't. So I, for the meantime, if you've never done this before, repairedness is all about getting things to work for you in a pinch in an emergency. So I managed to get one bolt that was long enough. I snug the toilet down as tight as I could and I'll be damned, everything held without a leak. I really did not expect that wax seal to sit really well with one bolt on one side. So, <laughs> so it's gonna limp through until Tuesday morning and then I'm gonna go get a brand new set even if I gotta run out of town, but everything around here is closed, all the hardware stores until Tuesday morning. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to pick up extra long bolts and I'm going to get a second set of them. I thought I had some, but apparently I didn't. Then I'm going to take the toilet out. I'm going to replace the wax seal because, of course, that's what you have to do every time you do it. And then I'm going to bolt it down proper. But in the meantime, at least the tenant has a toilet that they can flush. I told him just not to have any really explosive diarrhea or, you know, one of them extra strainers or something that's going to end up pulling the toilet off the wall. So, yeah, um is what it is. Some days you just don't quite know what you're in for, but that's okay. And of course they had the, the blue dye thing in the back. So you get blue water all over the place. And now I got like shredded porcelain in the back of the truck with blue water all over it. And then Becky comes down and she's like, hun, you broke my vacuum. And you know what I did? Don't be, don't do what Tim does. Cause sometimes Tim is an absolute idiot. So I went out and I cleaned out a bank property the other day and I came back and I, this is not an excuse at all but my brain has just not been working that great it's just I, I don't know if it's the post-covid thing or whatever oh yeah and there's my wife so here I'll, I'll finish doing my apology as we go but um yeah so anyway I was a dumbass and left her brand new vacuum on the back of the toilet toilet. Jeez, I read rubber seal. I'm sorry, guys. On the back of my truck and it got soaked and I ruined it. Now, I know she wanted a new toilet, but I was still an idiot. So don't be a Tim. Uh, and yes, guys, on top of everything else, we are under a tornado watch. So if by chance we end up, you know, if I blink out of here, it's because I'm heading to Kansas with Dorothy. But uh, if the power happens to go, it shouldn't. But knock on wood, we had one in Coronation, which is an hour and a half south of here, I believe. So yeah, just one of those things. Uh, Liberty says that was a shitty job over in Telegram. He's absolutely right. Um, Ted says he charges more if they put chemicals in the toilet tank. Yes. Well, see, this is the problem. Uh, it, it's a rental that's my responsibility. So I was stuck with it. But uh, the guy takes real good care of the apartment and everything. It's really good. Yeah. So Ted, uh, so Little Klondike asks if I've tried those rubber seals. Ted has. I haven't yet. But I will tell you, um, if you go and look for wax seals on toilets, there are uh, as many wax seals out there as there are types of toilets you can buy. 
Now, typically, when you go and buy a toilet in a box, if you've ever bought one of those before, they're great. I love them because number one, everything's in a box, except some of them don't include everything you need. But if it says wax seal in the box, there's a good chance that it's going to be one of them half inch thick, tiniest, thinnest little wax seals you're going to find. Now, the toilet in the box I got tonight was way better than that. So the flange that I recommend that I've used over the years is called the Max Wax Try saying that 10 times fast. The Max Wax Seal. So what it is, is two things. Number one, it's about two to three times as thick wax as a normal seal, which is great. And then on the bottom, there is a PVC sleeve that helps, um, how do we want to put it? Contain solids and liquids to go straight down in. They've saved my ass literally and figuratively on multiple occasions. And they're like, you know, your normal wax seal around here is maybe a buck fifty, two bucks, and the max wax is like three fifty, four dollars. It's worth it. Always take a second wax seal with you when you're fixing a toilet, because you just never know. Um, if you set a toilet into place, and then you have to take it back up, if you've already squished the wax seal, you really need to put a new wax seal on it. I've gotten away a couple of times with reusing it if I haven't completely settled it into place yet. But you always want to keep an eye on that because they, yeah, um, once it's set into place, if you take it off and try to set it back in, there's a good chance that wax is not going to fill that in. But for me, I I really like the Max Wax Seals. But now that you've asked Klondike, uh, did I, yeah, um, I will, I'm going to give it a shot next time around. Um, Ted says he's used the rubber ones for a couple of years, no problem. But he also says it's always scary trying new products. It is. So I have a rule of thumb. Um, I like to try brand new products on my house first. Hence the reason I use the spray foam or the expanding foam on my posts. They worked great. Just tried a new brand of ceiling um, exhaust fan for the bathroom. It is a Panasonic. I want to say it's called a Whisper Quiet or a Whisper model. Wow, it's got 110 CFM and it is half as loud. I really should have done uh, a loudness test, a decibel test on it before I started because the old one barely sucked. And that's kind of the opposite of what you want a fan to do, right? But this one is half as loud and pulls twice the amount of um, moisture. We never have any problems with the bathroom fogging up at all. So, so far, so good. Then Becky also picked this up. So if you guys are looking for something, I can, I'll get her to send me the link. To be honest, when I opened the package, I wasn't super excited about the light. But again, I always like to try new things, and she always orders new things, and I kind of liked it. So what it is, it's kind of weird. It, it even comes in the package. It says it does not require grounding because it's an entire plastic fixture. So it's about the same size as a standard bathroom fixture. It kind of looks like a UFO. If you take the lid off it, which is only about yay big, maybe an inch thick, you open it up inside, and there's like 200 LEDs. They're a daylight bulb. They're about 30 bucks. And all they have is a white and black connector inside. And it looks like the chintziest little plastic screw down connector. Something you would use, I don't know, in ham radio or no, in audio video connectors. That's what it looks like. So I read through all the instructions and yeah, it that that's all there is to it. I put that sucker up there and it is brighter than, I, I didn't get the lumens on it, um, but it is unbelievably bright. So Again, if you're looking to try a new product, give it a shot and see, because I was fairly impressed. I mean, I, 
it, it doesn't even technically require a box. There is a box up there, so I use the existing box, but all it requires is to be wired in and uh, two screws. It comes with two drywall anchors. You can put it up, put it into place. Now, I wouldn't jump up and hang off it, uh, but yeah. Oh, and you should ask Becky about how much fun I had putting, getting that ceiling fan to rehook up in there. So, you know, square, it gives you the um, outlet that, you know, the, the amount of space you need to cut in the drywall to get the fan up into place. So I did that. No matter what I tried, I could not get that fan to fit up in there. And the instructions were in Chinglish, Chinglish, you know, it's like some kind of, it's like if you were to take Chinese and then run it through Google Translate to English, then run it back into Google Translate to Chinese, and then back into English a third time or fourth time, whatever. That's about what it was good for. And there was absolutely nowhere in the instructions where it talked to take off the housing on the end. So there's a housing where you hook up the uh, external vent and a housing where the electrical goes in. Well, once you figure it out, there's like three, uh, two different clips. You take it apart, take that whole piece out, you put it up in and screw it to the mounting bracket, and then the whole thing just slides right up into place. Now, Liberty is asking, uh, is it surface mount? Now, if he's ask, if, if you're asking about the light, yeah, it is. It's um, it's interesting, really interesting. I'm not sure what code is behind it, but you open it up and there is a piece of paper that comes right with it that says, does not need to be grounded due to entire fixture being plastic. So if my house burns down, you know what it is. But no, I'm just, anyway, That that's what the paperwork said in it. It's kind of interesting. And the entire thing has a really thin footprint. It only sticks out less than two inches for sure. Now, uh, how about, um, you guys have heard me talk about zero pro projects or well anyway i don't know if you what you how you guys feel about storing lumber around but i tend to keep as much stuff as i can now i went yesterday at four o'clock because the um all of the hardware stores and building supply places are going to be closed for the next two days so yeah becky sent the link there if anybody wants to check it out there uh, it's cool it's kind of interesting so anyway we ended up i went and picked up a bunch of lumber thinking okay i've got everything i need and i didn't completely that's totally fine i ended up changing my design a little bit so i ended up needing some more 12 footers and some less eight footers not a problem but i was 100 convinced that i had enough four by fours on hand to do the fence job well i went down to pick them up at the daycare where i'd left them and realized i had already got them for the last job <laughs> cut them up and used them for the new deck so I was one four by four short. I did have one up on top of my storage container where my uh, solar panels were. And uh, yeah, so I ended up having to find something that worked and I did. I ended up getting, um, I had some four by fours that I salvaged. I did a dump run for a lady here a couple of weeks ago and they were beautiful. Um, I don't know, they're just a hair bit thicker than a normal four by four. Doesn't matter, worked great. So. You never know. If you can get any kind of lumber whatsoever, set it aside, build yourself kind of a storage area. I So right now, next to my garage, I have a spot where I just throw all of my good lumber that I'll use someday. Well, I'm getting ready to move my storage container, my C-can, another four feet to the west, and I'm going to build an overhang in there so we have a lean-to that I can put all my lumber under and keep the snow off of in the wintertime. Because if you guys know, 
It does not take very long around here, and all of a sudden we're dealing with snow again. Um, and uh, over on Telegram, he says, if it's LED, it's probably not drawing all that uh, much wattage. And you're right, it isn't. It's Yeah, I, I'd have to check to see for sure. Hey, John Palmer, how are you? So if anybody has any questions or anything, any projects you've been working on, throw them up in the comments. We're uh, just kind of doing a... Uh, fly by the seat of our pants, kind of open to, um, yeah, so that, that's a good one, Ted. Do you guys worry about termites up there? We don't. Um, at least in my area, they're not an issue whatsoever. Um, <laughs> on an unrelated note, ticks have finally made it up here. Uh, Alberta, something you guys have probably never heard before, but we are considered the only rat-free zone in all of the world. There's rats on every island and every landmass anywhere. I had to, I thought that was kind of interesting. So we have a rat patrol here. Anyway, I know I'm going off tangent from the termites, but we don't have to deal with termites. So you don't have to buy lumber treated for termites. It's been something I've never had to deal with. I believe there were the occasional infestation of them in Nova Scotia where I grew up, but it was never a thing that we had to deal with. I remember when we used to put our orders in for pressure treated lumber, there was a special box you could check check if you wanted to end up getting uh, termite treated. And I want to say, now I could be wrong on this. I want to say that it was maybe purple. Was it a purple treatment or something? I can't remember, but it was something totally different that we, uh, yeah, we didn't have to deal with. So I kind of enjoyed that. Now, as far as a rat-free zone goes, um, I thought it was kind of cool. We got the, um, the Rockies to our west. We have Santa Claus to our north. And we have big, wide open prairies to our east and to our south. And so our province has worked diligently as far as governments can go. And they've ended up spending quite a bit of money going around and eradicating rats' nests wherever they find them. People, There's like a rat hotline that you can call to get rid of them. So yeah, apparently um, we are the only place in the world considered rat-free. I always thought that was a pretty interesting thing if you've never heard that fact before. So as far, yeah, and uh, Joel says, oh, uh, Liberty says over on uh, Telegram <laughs> that I'm hoarding more wood than a damn beaver. Uh, absolutely. Um, and Ted says down here, you never store wood near your house. I can believe that. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not an issue here. The only thing we ever had was uh, potato bugs or sow bugs that we'd end up getting mixed in with our firewood. You know, if you'd have it leaned up against the house or whatever. But yeah, that it's definitely not an issue in here. It's even less so because uh, the dampness is even less than it was on the East Coast. Uh, we, you know, it, you had to get, you really had to concentrate on getting your firewood up and off the ground uh, out east because you didn't want it to sit and get rotten. Here, man, I'm telling you, you could, yeah, definitely there was no issue whatsoever with that. So what do we got? Uh, so what projects do I have coming up this week? Uh, there's quite a few, actually. I'm quite excited. I know I've talked a little bit about this. The um, I know you guys have heard me talk about the Patch of the Month Club just a little bit, and I've really enjoyed putting it together. I have two designs. We're going to unveil one of them sometime this week. The website is now officially working, so I'm not going to give out the link yet because I want to unveil what the patches look like, but they're going to be $10 a month for uh, if you want to sign up monthly or $100 a year for all 12 months. And you'll get uh, whatever the patch of the month design is will come to you uh, in the mail. 
I'm kind of excited about it. I'm actually, I'm really excited about it. The first batch we did, I think we've got a dozen of each one, and we're going to give that a go. But I have a feeling there's quite a bit of interest coming up. Uh, um, I just picked up a wallet from SOE Tactical that has the Velcro on top. And so I'll be able to use my tactical patches on that. But yeah, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I know you guys are excited too about getting it uh, getting it going. Um, but yeah, Ted, if um, what are there any precautions? Have you guys ever had, like what kind of precautions do you need to take to deal with termites or, you know, handle them? We've had, uh, so I don't know about you guys, but we've had a huge amount of ants this year. <laughs> Chicken hawks says, you, that's going to be US dollars, $10 US. So that'll be like 12,000 Canadian. I figured that's the easiest way to do it. And what ends up happening there is it helps to me to pay for the shipping. Shipping's not horrible, but it, it's not, um, there's not any, uh, how do you put it? Like it, it's still a cost involved. It's going to cost me around $2 a patch to ship to the US, which I'm not complaining. Just the, um, the exchange rate will help offset that a little bit. By the time I get the patches printed, designed and shipped out. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. But we've had a huge problem with ants this year. Becky's had them at the daycare. We've had them here. I don't know if it's the dryness or what it might be, but we've, yeah, it's just been an absolute awful year for ants. She's had the um, the Orkin, Orkin guy in, and I like, um, I think it's an ortho product. It's in a red spray bottle, and it's um, it's like a perimeter defense, it's called. And you go around, we had, I had one rental that had quite a few ants in it. I went around the outside, sprayed it completely, and it has done away with probably 98 to 99% of all the ants. It's been really, really good. What else was, oh yeah, why don't we talk about uh, CLR for instance. So I, I'm, I'm getting ready to do up a few more. So I, I film a bunch of my TikTok videos all at once. And so then I have them and I can just edit them and put them up for you guys. So if you have suggestions for those, send them my way. But um, I'm going to start working through some of my favorite cleaner products, some of the different things. So I've uh, the first one that's coming up here before too long is CLR. And if you guys, most of you probably know CLR, but I got to tell you, I've really only come to know uh, the calcium lime and rust remover cleaner. I've really only started using it probably the last five years. And it's one of those products that once you buy it, Holy shit. So anyway, I've started buying it by the gallon because I use it for everything. So we've got a lot of calcium up here in our water. It's just, it's where our water sourced from, like to the point where, you know, within a few weeks, you're going to have some serious white buildup. And that's really the only thing that I have to clean out of my Berkey is um, calcium. And we're going to talk about that a little bit too, because uh, it, yeah, there's some easy ways to clean it when you take some time. Anyway, so CLR, number one, coffee maker. I use that, you remember the old, uh, what is it? I put that shit on everything. Well, I put CLR in everything. And it basically is, <laughs> yeah, Becky says all the daycare projects are going to keep me busy. You want to believe it. So as far as CLR goes, the magic amount seems to be about half a cup. So you put a half a cup in the reservoir of a coffee maker. Then you fill the rest of it up with water, run it through, flush it out, run it through a couple of times empty after that. And two things I've noticed, it dramatically uh, decreases the time it takes to brew a pot of coffee. And it also helps my coffee taste better. Kind of cool. So that's the first one. So that, okay. So coffee maker's been my big one. And then shower head. So here's kind of, if you have a slow moving shower head 
and you're either too lazy or too scared to take your shower head off because you think you might break it. Ask Becky, I've done that before. Take yourself a Ziploc sandwich bag, fill it full of either vinegar or CLR, put it up over the shower head, put an elastic on it and let it soak for as long as you want. You know, I find two, three hours is sufficient. Then you take it off and then run really hot water through it. And you'll end up having a shower head that doesn't spray in all directions. You know, it, it, it acts like it has um, uh, male problems. Yeah, <laughs> after you do that. So number two, shower head. So it works great on my coffee maker, works great on my shower head. Number three, dishwasher. So I went in the other day, had a call from another tenant, and they said, hey, Tim, dishwasher's not working. Oh, well, that's strange. It seems like it's in good shape. Open it up, and there was quite a bit of calcium buildup in there to the point where uh, where the, the water, the intake water, it had actually crusted over a little bit. So I cleaned that up. Once again, half a cup of CLR, dump it in the bottom of the dishwasher, run it empty, but with hot water, run it through, then run a blank cycle with hot water, and it cleared everything up. Four, the washing machine. That's the other one. To me, that is, uh, so we had um, a bunch of, again, complaints from tenants who said there was quite a bit of white buildup in the washing machines at this, uh, the pay laundry facility. Once again, <laughs> I know you're going to joke, but half a cup of CLR, dump it in the washing machine, run it on hot. Then once it's run through, run a clear cycle through of hot water once again, and it did it. Now, cool little tip, cool little hack. So you know the little one-quart bottles of CLR? They got that little handy-dandy handle on them. If you take the stupid little cap off them and you take any old spray nozzle off of Windex or some kind of cleaner, that'll fit perfectly down in there and screws on the lid. So now you have CLR in a spray bottle without needing to dump it over into a spray product. So, you know, first world problems, but we had a lot of calcium buildup in our hot tub to the point where our normal kind of means of cleaning it wasn't cutting it. So we pumped all the water out, Becky and I, and then we took CLR in a pump spray and we sprayed it all over all the nozzles. And we let it sit and sit and sit. And then we went through with a scrubbing sponge and give it a real good scrub down. Then we used the um, the spray nozzle from the, the hose, cleaned it up, worked absolutely perfect. So there you go. If <laughs> give you a little spoiler of what's coming up on TikTok this week, but top five uses for CLR, coffee maker, shower head, dishwasher, washing machine, and hot tub nozzles. Everything worked great. Now, yes, so since Becky brought this up, she said all the daycare projects are going to keep me busy. I got a lot on the go. I'm pretty excited. Number one, so um, the electrical needs to be upgraded. I'm excited about that. I don't do electrical for that kind of stuff, but I am going to assist my favorite handy-dandy electrician. Uh, <laughs> Robert's just an awesome guy. He's in his 80s, and he still works like crazy. So, yeah, hopefully I'll learn a little bit from him. But I think we've got, like, it's either 40 or 60-amp service in the building right now, and we're going to upgrade it to 200, so it's going to be great. Uh, Ted wants to know if we have wells or city water up here. So, both. Uh, kind of another interesting kind of cool thing. So, in town, we have city water. And we have all kinds. <laughs> I just got a, a picture of myself sent to me on Telegram. Dan's watching. I'm going to shout out to Dan over there. It's great to see you, buddy. So in the city, we have city water, which is great. Um, it's pumped from some really, we got some really deep uh, wells. There's three or four here in the town that are, are um, piped into an underground stream. So anyway, 
they all come up to the town. We have these big treatment facilities and they pump them down. Now, if you live outside of town, you're going to end up having a drilled well. In Nova Scotia, a dug well on the East Coast was very, very common because the groundwater is very close to the surface. So you'd have somebody come by and they'd witch a well for you. Anybody ever seen that? I still don't know if I believe in it or not. You guys can throw it out there and let me know what you think about witching wells. I think it's interesting. I just don't know if it really works. You know, anytime there's a blind study done on it, it always comes back and says, eh, it doesn't work. But I've also known a lot of old timers. Uh, one old guy named Rodney was a, a guy that he, he was a plumber. He used to come in home hardware all the time. And he used to claim that you, he could walk along and he would follow the vein of water underground. And he would say, okay, here's one vein. And then he'd go over to the left and he'd find another one. And he'd go here and he'd say, okay, this is where the two veins cross. And if you dig down six feet, that's where you're going to find your best water. So on the East Coast, you know, we would, I mean, first off, a lot of people would just drive those well points in if you just had, if you just needed like livestock water. But if you needed like, you know, water for the house where we live down Digby Neck, we had about 12 to 14 feet down. And it would be a... Uh, um, so you'd put in a four foot cistern. They're like well rings. They were great. You just dig them in, then you'd line them with sand and then put them all down in. And yeah, it was kind of interesting. So it's easy. So dug wells are very common on the East Coast. A lot of the old ones were just dug with rocks. So you dig them down and then you place rocks all the way in. It looked like something out of a horror movie. Actually had an old guy that uh, I knew at Home Hardware who was way too old to be doing this and went down in his well in the middle of wintertime, got stuck down there uh, to clean things out and expired. So yeah, anyway. So yeah, dug wells were very common on the East Coast. You come out to the prairies and the water table is super deep. So everybody has drilled wells and they're kind of skunky out here. You get kind of an irony smell, kind of a sulfury smell and you need, you know, water softeners, that kind of stuff. But the really cool thing, and I know if you guys have followed me for a while, you've heard me talk about these before, but two doors down in the basement, there is a great big, um, it's about a six foot by six foot by eight foot room. And it used to be totally enclosed and it was called a cistern. So before they had city or municipal water here in this town, and apparently on the prairies in general, they would have a holding tank inside the well or inside the house. And a guy would come around a water truck and he would fill it up. And then you'd have a little battery powered or some kind of type of pump. And that's where you would get your water from. And you just had to end up using it that way. I thought it was really cool. I would love to take some time and dig into the history of life on the prairies because it's definitely different than where I grew up. Uh, it's kind of cool because on the East Coast, uh, my little nephew one day, he said, Uncle Tim, why, why are the towns where they are? And I thought, oh, this, this is right up my alley. I said, well, let me tell you. On the East Coast. Oh, Dan, thanks, Dan. But <laughs> Dan just sent me a $25 super chat. I, Dan, I appreciate it, buddy. Really do. So on the East Coast, everything out there is about 400 years old. That's when things were first founded. Now, if you follow around and you find the different towns, you'll see that they're all on harbors, on natural inlets. So what they would do is, of course, they would come in and they would come from Europe and they would they would find a spot where they could get their boats up and they say, oh, this is great. Okay, we'll settle here. And so they would settle in this harbor and then they would go up the coast, find another harbor and they would settle there. So each town would go on certain harbors. Now, on the west or on the prairies, of course, now 
I'm sure most people know this, but how do you how do you think the towns sprung up out here? They followed the railroad. So as they were building the railroad, they would spread it apart and I don't know, whatever it was, um, a few, like 100 kilometers or whatever, they would put in a town for supplies. And that's how the different towns would spread out on the prairies. It's kind of neat. So totally different from how things spanned on the East Coast. And I always joke because I say in Alberta, an old house is 100 years old. In Nova Scotia, an old house is 400 years old. And in England, a new house is 1,000 years old. So the idea of being old is all relative, right? And uh, Ted says we use a lot of reclaimed water and well water down here for irrigation. I can imagine. Uh, so you guys know that, uh, you know, Ted is, Ted is way down in Florida. Um, we were in Daytona Beach and he was... Was it four hours further south than us, Ted? So yeah, Ted's way down there. Um, reclaimed water is a, a pretty common thing up here. Um, we had, I would say it's becoming quite a common occurrence because we had two full years of drought here. And so people are getting more and more into storing water and picking up water where we are. Um, it just, yeah, it... You know, it, it's been kind of a shitty time for the farmers. They're really excited this year, but of course their water reserves are bad. And something I found out here, uh, I did tell you guys the other night about sloughs. So they tend to be a, a very small depression in the land, and that's where the water collects. So it just runs out. There's no way for it to drain out. It just evaporates, so it leaves shit behind. But occasionally, like a dug well, they will find a place here where there's a bubbling spring, and they'll dig it out, and they'll call that a dugout. Now, livestock love to water from it, and it tends to stay pretty clean because it self-filters. It comes up from the bottom. Fresh water is always coming in. Now, Cabot says around here stops were about seven miles. I don't know enough about railroad history, but you know, that sounds fairly plausible. Because if you look... Um, a lot where a lot of the old grain elevators were around here. That seems to be about right. I will, I'll see if I can find out for you, Cabot. I really don't know, but that does sound about right. I, I don't know what the distance was, but if you look at where the little towns are, I think that's going to be close. Dan says, Tim is the man. I've been busy all summer and had a hard time joining and appreciate the time to see him live stream. He's a real inspiration. Love that guy. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, this was an unexpected episode this evening. Um, as you can imagine, uh, I'm not a dog expert. I was really excited about finding out what the hell's wrong with my six chihuahuas, but uh, we will reschedule and the show must go on, right? So yeah, um, Dan came on one night a while back. We had a lot of fun. We'll get him back on again. But yeah, as far as uh, the Prairie Towns, that's pretty close. And yeah, another project that I'd like to do, I've talked to the missus about it. And uh, so just so you know, just because I'm a handyman doesn't mean I get all my shit done when I need to get it done. I took down my eaves troughs. You guys always laugh when I call them eaves troughs. I took down my gutters last year. And I ended up, uh, what time? I don't even remember, early in the spring. Never got them put back up in time for winter. Still don't have them put up yet. So that's going to be my next job is getting those put up. Uh, because um, <laughs> on the north side of the house, we tend to have a bit of um, a slope toward the house. Now that's what the skid steer is coming in. I'm going to hopefully rectify that quite a bit, but it still funnels some water into my basement. I need to fix that. Now, the reason I tell you about that is one of my projects this summer, I or well, it's going to be fall at this point, and this leads into Dan's question here. So, have you ever seen IBCs used for cisterns? Now, 
Okay. If you mean above ground, yes. If you mean below ground, also yes, but not always advised. So, of course, the thing about sister uh, IBCs is they're really sturdy around the sides, but they're not designed to have a whole lot of flat weight on top. If you've ever seen people who have buried sea cans or storage containers, it's the same kind of thing. They have um, points, so they're made to stack really well and they're really secure. But again, an IBC is wide open on the top. So if you bury it and put any amount of dirt on it, you're going to have a bad day. Now, you might put a little bit of dirt on it, but then you might be a dumbass like me and decide you need to drive over there with something and you end up collapsing it. So, yes. Yeah, so buried, I wouldn't recommend burying an IBC toad. I've looked at it. What I would look at is, um, <laughs> Gunner says, nothing like having all the projects to do and ADHD. I believe you, man. Uh, my, my son, he sounds like that. He has a, a thousand ideas he'd like to do, but it, you know, the ADHD gets in the way sometimes. So IBCs, I would stick to IBCs above ground. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have um, basically my east-west on the north side and my east-west on the south side. I'm going to bring them all back to one area and I'm going to have the um, big IBC toad on both sides for rain storage. Now, again, as you can imagine, we have a problem with storing water here, and it's called fucking winter. Winter gets really nasty really quick, and uh, things freeze. So it's only good for about six months of the year. Now, below ground storage. I've looked at that. If you guys remember Dave Jones came on a while ago, uh, the NBC guy, he built himself an underground bomb shelter using cisterns. They were, I believe these were cement cisterns he had installed. They were a two-piece thing. So they have a seam around the side that he needed to seal up. Now, what I'd like to do um, is get a poly tank. So if you've looked at those, you can get water tanks at your local farm store. But you want to make sure that they're direct burial rated. And for me, that, that's important. Uh, now, the other thing <laughs> that is a real problem here is in order to be below the frost line, technically in my area, it's something like three to four meters, which is you know, 10 to 12 feet below ground. So the, the the highest spot of the water would have to be that. And if you wanted to have, say, a six-foot deep tank, we're talking almost 20 feet below ground. I have no interest in going that deep. So I need to come up with something else. I have some open space below my bathroom. That if I dig it out, I think I could make a storage tank there that would probably stay warm enough as long as we didn't have a prolonged power outage. But yes, so IBC totes for cisterns, uh, yes, I would say... Uh, number one, buy a food grade one for an extra 10 or $20. It'll give you peace of mind. I know some people say, but it's okay, Tim. You can clean them out, wash them, triple wash them. You know what? For an extra 20 bucks, I'd like to have the peace of mind. Uh, get yourself something, you know, something that has simple syrup in it or canola oil, uh, whatever it is. I mean, <laughs> not the canola is the healthiest thing for you either, right? But get yourself one of those things and then store it. Uh, now, if you want uh, an easy way to pump it out, uh, you guys have seen, um, we have the little, it is a, huh, I want to, like a utility pump. It's really inexpensive. You can just hook a garden hose up to it and it works really good. Uh, Chris Dixon's not on here tonight. He has another recommendation for one, but they're a really simple way to get the water down in and pull it out. Now, Liberty is asking, he says, geothermal question mark. Um, I'm not sure if he's talking about using it that way or not. So uh, I'm going to talk about geothermal because I think geothermal is pretty friggin' interesting. And if you guys have ever looked at it, I would love 
to figure out a way to make it work here. I, th I would love to put it into some sort of greenhouse situation eventually, because there's, you know, there's two ways. If you've ever seen it, we've talked about it on Telegram before, but there's the deep well geothermal, and that's where you go way, 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 way down and tap into the, you know, um, below the, not the permafrost, but basically where the ground stays 100% stable all the time. I don't know what the exact temperature is, but it's warm enough down there that if you pump it through, it'll work. On the East Coast, again, it's a very common uh, practice to have that pumped into your in-floor heating. Now, it's not like you can just turn the heat up at once and be done with it, but it is uh, a certain type. Then in the areas where uh, it doesn't get quite as cold as it possibly does here in Alberta, you have the trench design. So that's where they dig down, I want to say six feet maybe, maybe a little more, and they just do a big trench back and forth, back and forth. And you're able to suck up the energy, the hot or the cold from the ground and cycle it through your house. I love the deep well method, a little more expensive up front, but uh, you're less likely to have issues with frost and freezing and all of that. Ted says those would be some big ice cubes. Yeah, that's the worst part. Um, the entire, I love living on the prairies. I love the cold, but it definitely changes the mindset of preparedness here. Simple things, even like survival caches. So, you know, you watch all the big prepper channels on YouTube and you're like, oh yeah, I got to build me one of those. I need to put some, uh, you know, bullets, beans, and band-aids in a four inch length of PVC pipe. And I'm going to glue it and I'm going to soak everything in uh, hard grease so that nothing can get in there. And then I'm going to bury it and it's going to be there. And then all of a sudden you need to bug out or the shit hits a fan or whatever. And it's the middle of friggin' winter. Imagine trying to dig that back up in the middle of winter. So a whole bunch of other things. It's like when we prep for, uh, man, I don't even know why I'm talking about the cold because it's so, been so goddamn hot here lately. But when you prep for the cold, you just got to change things. So the other thing is if I want to have something edible in the truck year round, it's got to be something that's not susceptible to either extreme hot or extreme cold. So it doesn't quite get as hot for as long here as it does in other places, but still. So, you know, chocolate covered granola bars are a no-go. Regular granola bars are okay, although they're more like granola soup in the summertime and they'll be enough to maybe chip off a molar in the winter, but at least you can warm them up and uh, eat them. <laughs> now, as far as water goes, it's great, except again, if it freezes, you're hooped. But then again, Typically in the winter, you're not going to need as much fluid. So you may be able to warm them up slowly, drink a little bit. I don't know. And then the other thing was I wanted something to wash my hands with. So I ended up having to, <laughs> Ted says, very informative. I know nothing about prepping for the cold. I know, buddy, I know. So I ended up looking around for alcohol-based sanitizing wipes. A um, few points here. They're great for wiping off your face and your hands. Just be careful. Get, keep them away from your eyes. And for um, the lower regions of a person's body, don't use alcohol wipes for wiping down there. Uh, you're going to have a bad time. Let's just put it that way. Um, oh, okay. And uh, Liberty says, I was thinking that trenching with a machine in long, narrow troughs just before the frost line might be less work than burying a whole cistern. Oh, yes. That's actually not a bad idea. Okay. I see where he's coming from. That's a good thought experiment. So you could, instead of building a cistern, you could build, say, four-inch trenches just below the frost line and use it for water storage. I, 
I'd have to do the math on it, but I think that's pretty friggin' ingenious. If anybody's ever seen something like that done, I would, uh, I'd, I'd love to know for sure. Uh, let's see. Um, Dan says, do you know anyone that uses a geotherm geothermal type of water heater? Build a black box and let the heat warm that water. So I don't know anyone that uses the heat from the earth to warm up water. But I've seen redneck water heaters, and that might be more of what we're talking about. I, it would be a solar thing. Um, you know, you put it up on your roof, you put a coil of polypipe. If you've ever seen that, you know, three quarter inch seems to be fairly common. You just coil it and coil and coil and coil. You put it in there, paint the entire box black. It reflects all the heat down and then you pump it down through into a storage tank. Just make sure that you have a blow off valve because if not, you could end up making a bomb. But, um, how I forget what the terminology for that is, but if you do it right, you can actually use convection to pump your water around. I just think I, I would, yeah, uh, redneck water heaters. I've looked at them quite a bit. We bought a couple of cheap, similar to redneck water heaters for our um, pool, and they did nothing at all. But the ones where you put them up, say, on your roof and uh, cycle them in, I like those. At Home Hardware, we used to sell the solar pipe ones. Those were incredible. I always wanted to get a set of those because they pumped right into your existing hot water tank and they had about two inch glass tubes that ran the length of these panels they were all yep so dan says talking about putting it on a roof and getting sunlight so yes i love this kind of stuff so you put it up um and they're they're long kind of bluish black tubes and inside that tube is a really really fine copper tubing and it basically runs a glycol it's a closed system and that tube is ultra thin, like to the point where the, the glycol, which is like antifreeze that runs down through it, is almost at the um, diameter of a drip. So it goes down in there and it's almost instantly heat from the sun. Uh, you know, it works better in the summer, but still works in the winter. And so then it cycles it back up through. And then it pulls that heat out of the glycol into the hot water tank. And it just keeps going like that. And they're, they're awesome. We had for quite a few years in Nova Scotia, government grants that would help pay for, uh, that would help offset like with tax credits and stuff. But if you haven't looked at those, Dan, um, they're great. Now they do tend to have a little circulating pump, something that could wear out, but overall they, I think they're at least as reliable as typical solar and maybe even a little more. So, uh, yeah. Liberty says essentially you're making a reverse radiator. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, solar, solar thermal collectors. And then I said, a nice bottle of something 100 proof and a few rags makes some good ready-made alcohol wipes. Has a lot of other uses as well. Yes, um, and you could make them into Molotov cocktails too, but we won't talk about that. But, no. uh, but again, Chris Dixon, he's an expert fuel maker. That is yet another use for another totally legal use for uh, homemade moonshine. I mean, uh, fuel. Definitely a good thing. Uh, like you said, um, makes a great sanitizer. Something else I learned, though, uh, and it's neat that uh, Liberty says 100 proof, because if you go beyond that, so if you, I think rubbing alcohol, now I may be incorrect on this, and somebody can correct me if you want, but I believe rubbing alcohol is around 70% uh, alcohol, but you can get the 95% for certain things, but 95% is a less effective 
disinfectant than 70% because what happens is the 95% evaporates so quickly that it's not in contact long enough to kill any bacteria. I thought that was kind of interesting. Something else I picked up there. Um, John says in Oklahoma, 24 inches is all we need to keep from freezing. On the East Coast, we're at, like again, where I grew up was around 36 inches, sometimes 48. Uh, the frost line was 36. But like I said, out here, yeah, it's, it's, it's over 10 feet to the point where if you're building the deck, nobody bothers going down in the ground to build it. Everybody just builds it with footing blocks, you know, the little pyramid blocks, put them on the ground, you know, tamp down some sand or some, you know, gravel, and then put your four before in it. And from there, it works great. But yeah, as far as those solar collectors go, take a minute and check it out because I love them. They So they were big in the 70s in the back to the land movement. And then, of course, they got out of, they fell out of favor in the 80s and the 90s. And then the, the late 2000s, they started making a big comeback. And I love the technology. And something else I've always wanted to build, and if you guys haven't looked at these before, um, is some sort of hot water, uh, so wood heated hot water heater. I've looked at a bunch of different ones over the years. I, I love the ones where you have a little water jacket on the side of, say, uh, like a wood fired cook stove. Those are great. And then just have a um, flexible copper line and run it into a hot water tank. Another one that I really like is when you take the flexible copper tubing, wrap it around a, you know, your six inch chimney pipe, and then, you know, kind of filter the water up and through. And again, uh, convection will actually pump that up for you. It's a, it's a closed system without any need to have any electrical interference. And I, I love that. I'd love to build one of those sometime. Uh, oh, and Liberty says you can always dilute the 96%. Very good point. Absolutely. Uh, over 100 proof burns well and can boil water. Also a good sleep aid in the woods as well for cleaning and first aid. That's a good point. I like that. So my next project I want to build, it may not happen till the fall, but I was looking around and I'm going to call this yet another zero job. So if you guys have looked at, well, okay, one of the big downsides to the generator I have is how dirty the power is. 11 to 14% total harmonic uh, distortion, which isn't ideal for sure. And it's not great for electrical. So what I've been thinking about doing is building a small battery bank, a small, like, I don't even know how to, like a, a mobile one battery bank. So what I have out there right now is I have an old battery from my lawnmower. I have a little inverter. I'm going to build an insulated plywood box. And then I'm going to use an existing charger or run something off of my generator so that I can store that power in the battery. And then I can run my electronics off of that because that's everybody's biggest concern about electronics is will the generator kill them? So I'm thinking, well, what better way than to bypass that than by taking power off the generator, putting it into a 12 volt source, and then using a clean inverter to pull the power out. Because my first idea behind that was an un uninterruptible power supply. And if you looked at those before, they're great. The problem is they are not reliable on a dirty power generator. They want to kick in. They want to kick out. It's just not an ideal situation. So I'm thinking about building a, a tiny little mobile battery bank with a single lawnmower battery in it. And we'll see how it goes. So that, that's going to be a project I got coming up. I'm also going to build a, an enclosure for my generator. It's going to have to be something permanent, but it needs to be away from the house. And I want to be able to vent the heat out, but 
help eliminate the noise. So it's going to be a fun kind of uh, project, uh, kind of a, a brainstorming type thing. Um, <laughs> oh, Ted says you need to get a moonshiner on your live stream. I'd love to learn more about moonshine. I absolutely could. I've actually already had a moonshiner on, but if you guys, yeah, that's great, Ted. And that you can joke all you want, but that would be a, make for an awesome show. So if any of you guys have someone that you know that's a lifelong moonshiner that'd be willing to come on and chat about it, I absolutely would love to uh, discuss that with them for sure. Bring somebody on. Yeah. Uh, Liberty says outdoor wood boilers can heat your whole house and be less of a hazard. Yes. So um, again, on the East coast where I grew up, we had what was called a wood doctor. And depending on how big you needed, it was basically a wood stove, wood furnace that set up on legs and it could take two foot, four foot, six foot, eight foot sticks of wood, depending. And they weren't very efficient, but what they were was they were a way to create a lot of heat in a short period of time. So it would be outdoors from your home. So none of the mess ever came in. You could take, it would burn anything under the sun, nasty. And you didn't have to worry about a chimney getting clogged up with creosote or anything like that. So a guy I know, a driftwood greenhouses grows tomatoes and cucumbers year round for Sobeys in Nova Scotia. And it's still not very warm there. And he has one of those. And I believe they take four foot sticks. His does. And what it does, like I said, it's a great big barrel style wood stove, wood furnace that's then pumped underground into his greenhouse. The thing works great. They're not expensive. Uh, sorry, they're not inexpensive, but they do the trick and they're not efficient, but what they make up for is you keep the mess outside and they'll burn anything whatsoever. You know, brush, junk, wet wood, doesn't matter. Even things that they don't recommend like driftwood, saltwater wood, you don't ever want to put that in a wood stove or a furnace in your house, but outdoors in one of those, go for it. Uh, what do we got here for a question now? Uh, we got uh, Gunner says, how about using a Furman power conditioner or something similar to feed the UPS? So I've looked into that. And if anybody has a good suggestion for a power conditioner, I would I would love to find one. The, the only thing is the bit of research I've done in those is they tend to be really stinking expensive. So if somebody can, if somebody has a lead on a power conditioner that isn't more than a couple hundred bucks, I would gladly grab one and try it because that would be a solution to a problem for sure. Because I get a lot of, feedback from people saying, hey, the power's dirty on this generator. I love it, but I'm scared it's going to ruin my fridge, my freezer, my whatever. Insert your expensive electronics. People are nervous about it. So if you can find me a power conditioner that isn't an arm and a friggin' lag, I'll test it out. I would love to. Um, and uh, Liberty over on Telegram says, I've done a box like that before. Charger, inverter, battery, voltmeter. A lot cheaper than buying one. Pretty straightforward. And you can leave it on a trickle charge on your house power and have a few hours for essentials. Uh, adding some sort of system like that. Oh, okay. That was it. Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly it. So if anybody else has ever built a mobile battery bank like that, let me know. I would love to. Okay. Oh, yes, sir. So uh, Gunner says uh, Furman M8X2 uh, power conditioner, $90 USD on reverb. I will check that out. And now that I have an American post office box, I can buy things like that and not have to worry about it so much. So thank you, Gunner. Uh, if anybody can remember that, 
Uh, I'm going to take a picture of it, guys, just so you're going to laugh at me while I'm live streaming. That way I don't forget. Now, I'm going to check that out because if that does the trick, I'd be happy. Be, we, I've had, like I said, a ton of people who are very concerned about the power coming out of my little Furman. And the Furmans are great. And they're cheap for a tri-fuel generator. Yeah, that would be really good. Now, over on Telegram, uh, Liberty says, adding some sort of system like that, talking about an exterior uh, heat uh, heat source, like that pumping heat into a greenhouse, that's where you put your big black painted IBCs, big heat sink. That's a great idea. Love it. I, I would try that for sure. I just, I would love to find a way to realis realistically store rainwater year round here that doesn't cost, again, an arm and a leg, doesn't cost a whole bunch in electricity. Now, if I could figure out a way to run it off of some solar, I just don't think I could put enough solar into it. I would need a very big solar array, I think, in order to run some sort of resistant heating device down in a storage tank. Because I, we, I, I was on the Wednesday live stream with Nicole and John Willis one day, and we got talking about it. And he said, you know, like down here, all we need is one of those little floating livestock heaters, and that's enough to keep it wide open. Well, down here, oh, hey, the Dixon Way says he's uh, driving back from Leduc, have to catch the replay. Good to have you, Chris. I always enjoy you coming on, buddy. So, yeah, up here to keep the water flowing, you know, basically one of those little floating heaters for a livestock, a livestock tank. All it does is keep that. So if you've got a four-inch round floating heater, all it does is keep a four-inch round hole in the ice so that the livestock can kind of sip right around there. That's it. So I don't know. I, I would love, I talked about it, I'd love to have some sort of fish tank out in the garage once I get it fully insulated. I still have plans of having um, some sort of gas supply put out there. I've been talking to the utility company, but they haven't got back to me yet. So that's, yep. Uh, now, um, so Gunner says the Furman conditioner reverb, it's meant to provide clean power for audio equipment, only 15 amps though. 15 amps would be fine. Uh, I mean, any uh, UPS is only going to be 15 amps. So it'd definitely be worth frigging around with. I'd be fine with that. And then Liberty mentioned this. This is kind of cool. Uh, if you can compost a lot in the greenhouse, that can create a lot of heat. Yeah. So on the prairies out here, you'll have what the farmers call a silage pit. It's usually not really a pit. It's more like a pile. And that's where they put their green feed. They pile it up and it starts to decompose almost immediately. And in the middle of winter, you can go up and dig down about a foot and the heat in there would be enough that you can't touch it with your hand. So I've always been really, really intrigued by that. Uh, oh, Ted sent me a link on Amazon for the Furman. Thank you, buddy. I've always been really, really intrigued by figuring out a way to capture that heat. I think it would be a really interesting kind of um, process to try. But yeah, that would be definitely something that could work here. Now, as far as my wicking beds, which I've talked about a little bit, Becky and I have been trying to come up with a plan to extend the growing season by about a month. We've got a ton of volunteer vine plants right now. I'm still not 100% sure if they're squash or cucumber. Either way, it doesn't matter. So we're going to build some sort of hoop house over the top of that and hopefully be able to get an extra month of growing season. We'll see what ends up happening. But I know I've bragged about it and I've talked about wicking beds. If you haven't built a wicking bed, it is worth it. They're a little upfront expensive. They're a little bit of work up front. But once they're built, 
it's like you guys know I, I'm a big fan of putting systems into place because I get interested in things and then I lose interest in them, i.e. my solar system. It's not that I lose interest. I just don't have the drive to keep building on them. So I have that solar system now built and it's set. I have charged 100% of my DeWalt batteries all summer long using four deep cycle batteries and two 100 watt solar panels. So if you're wondering if it can be done, it can. And I use a lot of DeWalt batteries for that. Now, as far as systems go, wicking beds, that is a system as well. You get that down in there, you've got that underground water storage. And I'm not kidding, we probably could have been, I don't even know, like, I, I think we've water, filled it with water four times. And I don't, maybe three times, I'm not sure. And I don't think we would have had to have filled it at all since we filled it. It has stayed so damp and so hot in there. Just give yourself a chance and explore. I'm going to set up my cracky bins in here again. Those are a great system that once they're set up, they take almost no work whatsoever. Now, over here, Liberty says wicking beds probably pay for themselves in a year if you're on city water and you do lose all your plants in the summer like this. Yes. Now, I I feel really bad. I'm over in a chat group and uh, there was a guy in there, a couple of guys that are really, really interested in uh, growing all their own food this year. And I feel really bad because this drought has just kicked their ass and everything that they worked really hard in has died. So wicking beds aren't necessarily for large scale growing operations, although we can talk about that on another day, but Liberty's absolutely right. They do pay for themselves. If you just figure if you go out and buy, you know, seedlings each year and you lose all your seedlings plus the time you put in them, they pay for themselves. I, I, if you're not including lumber, I probably put $150 in that waking bed. And like $120 of that is if, if you could find access to pond liner material for cheap or free, that would take almost all the cost out of building a wicking bed. For us, building a wicking bed, the the 100, like 80 to 90% of the cost was in that pond liner because freaking pond liner is expensive. You buy it on Amazon, I went a little small on what I needed, but it worked great. But don't cheap out because I tried two different things last year. Number one, I tried six mil ultra poly. That's the ultra thick stuff that you use for vapor barrier when you're building a new house that held up okay and then i went to the dump and i got so if i don't know if you guys have ever seen these but farmers have grain bags that they store out in their fields now where they put all their grain in these great big heavy duty grain bags and then they have a machine that just comes in and it rolls it up like a tube of toothpaste and pulls the stuff out of it so people took those grain bags to the dump i took one of them and tried it out it worked a little bit better, but neither of them held up. So if anybody has, I, I don't want to waste my time on building a wicking bed that's going to leak because the amount of time that you've ended up putting into it by digging everything back out and relining it is never going to be worth it. But if somebody has a suggestion for a liner for a wicking bed that would work and you know it's worked and you've proven that it's worked, I'll try that too because I'm going to build... So at mine are four by eight and it's running east-west. I'm going to build two going north-south next year at least. And then we'll see where we end up from there. But Becky loves them. We're going to keep putting perennials in there. We've got our comfrey, our raspberries, our blueberries, our rhubarb all in the first one. And we're going to keep going from there. Um, oh, John Palmer says several years ago, I built one out of a, a wicking bed out of an old bathtub. 
geez, that's not a bad idea either. I would try that. It'd be, yeah. And you know what? Oh, and uh, yeah. So Liberty says, I stick with livestock trials. Now you, I never thought of that, but you could absolutely, you, you could build them out of that. I thought about getting some barrels. We have a lot of barrels around here, but IBC totes would work good too. They're only four foot by four foot, but if you've cut them in half and flipped them over, you'd get two out of a bin. So might take, yeah, shower pan liners. Ted's talking about that as well. That's a great idea. Huh? Yeah. So we'll, yeah, let's talk that out loud. Now, the other thing, of course, because I live in a, you know, a residential area and my wife likes pretty things, I would have to make sure that I can, um, that it looks good too. Now we can always put liners around there. Now, if you guys want to know something really, really funny, I just got a notification on the Telegram group that said, Jesus just requested to join your group. Now, I'm not sure if it's Jesus or somebody else, but could be a spammer or it could be the real deal. You never know. But I just thought you guys would get a big chuckle out of that. IBCs would work great, John. And I need to make a trip to the city because that's the closest place that has food grade one. So maybe I'll get a bunch of those next year. And then I'll just have to make some sort of skirting around them to make them look pretty. Because I've seen them painted and they hold up quite well with paint. But the weather, the, the UV and the cold up here will do a number on them for sure. But they, yes, I think I may just try IBC totes. I forgot about that. So that, that allows me to eliminate the liner. So basically puts the liner and the container in one thing. I like that a lot. Uh, oh, and uh, Liberty says, catch big Rubbermaid livestock troughs on sale. I've thought about getting and sealing old refrigerators and freezers. Yes. And you know what? I am a landfill junkie. And that's the type of thing that will show up at the landfill quite often as well. So as long as there's no huge leaks in it. Ah, so, but I do like to standardize. So I think I'm going to try IBC totes. That's what I'll do. Buy two or three food grade IBC totes, cut them in half. And then, you know, because each one will give you a four, but you know, if you flip them around, put them side by side, you're going to get a, a four by eight right there. John Palmer, you win right there. See, this is why I love our community. John says, put siding on there to match your house around them. John, that is an incredible idea. And I think you just won the uh, If Mama Ain't Happy, Ain't Nobody Happy Award because I think Becky would love that idea. Thank you, John. That's great. I, that's why I love running ideas through all you guys while we're talking it out loud. So if you guys have any other questions or any other topics you'd like to hear me wax eloquently about, throw them up in the comments. Um, this was a completely unexpected, different kind of show. I'm glad we did it. Uh, I've been wanting to do a seat in my pants episode for quite some time. And yeah, I completely, uh, this was just, I, I don't know what happened there, guys. I'm, I, yeah, sometimes your guests just things, the wires get crossed. I know for a fact that we had got everything figured out, but I'm wondering if it was a time zone issue. I don't know. I got to apologize for not having the guests that we expected. Uh, I know I saw Ted had a comment up here earlier about me being an expert on dogs. Yeah, six chihuahuas. I think that would make you a dog expert. You know what? Six chihuahuas makes me an expert on what doesn't make a good dog. Let's put it that way. I'm a bitch expert because I have six female chihuahuas. Love them to death. Do they listen to me? Not even a little bit. And they have me wrapped around their little fingers. And I uh, basically do whatever Maisie asked me to do. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. 
So that is what it is. I we will I'll make sure we get Joel back on here to chat. I I don't know what happens. And I, yeah, I I don't I'm not worried about it. We had a great episode tonight. Ted says these are my favorite live streams. Thank you, man. I love sitting down and chatting just as long as it doesn't get off into the talking about nothing. You know, I I think we did a pretty good job of covering a whole bunch of different topics. And sometimes it's fun to fly by the seat of your pants without notes. Uh, I enjoy it. It's a really good test of the old brain. And I hope I made it enjoyable for you guys. So now i got to rewrite the notes for this episode when I post it. <laughs> we went over an hour, which means I'm going to have to upload it to Odyssey manually. And Odyssey's been acting up again. So if anybody else has had any luck with that. And i got to say thanks. Um, what Was it just last? Yeah, it was just last night that we did the fountain episode. And I've had a ton of feedback on fountain already so if you're not using john has a dash hound we so yeah john don, john says his is a dash hound we had a little dash hound named manny he was the biggest bastard you'll ever meet now he was the cutest little dog and when he ran his stomach hit the ground because he had short legs everybody thought he was so cute but anybody would come up behind him and they would he, he, he bit a few people. We ended up having to rehome him. And I'm sure, you know, they say there's no such thing as bad dogs, only bad dog owners. And then there's chihuahuas. But Manny was a little bastard. I loved him to death. He chased a cop truck one time and tried to bite the tires and ended up for the broken rib for his problems. Uh, Ted says wiener dog. I think that means he has a wiener dog. Whoops. There was the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable there, guys. But yes, I, I love tiny dogs. I don't know what it is. I'm a big sucker for him. Uh, yeah, John says his is a diva. Mine are as well. Now, I will say one thing about small dogs that I absolutely love. Oh, I love this. Everybody's telling me what kind of dogs they have. This is great. Gunner says I have a pit, a pitmation, a pit dalmatian mix. I wonder, that's got to be an interesting little, uh, that's a combination I hadn't heard of before. Ted says I love the chihuahuas mixed with dash hounds. They're great. We have a palm chi. We have five purebred chihuahuas and one half-breed chihuahua. Uh, Pomeranian. And she is an interesting dog. I joke with her. I probably shouldn't do this, but I tell her she's getting kind of chunky because she she has the thickness of her mom and the thickness of her dad. And so she's getting bigger than all the other chihuahuas. But yes, if you guys want to, I would love if you guys want to send me pictures of your dogs, I will post them on Facebook um, or sorry, on social media. I would love to do a, I don't know how we'll do it, but some sort of uh, celebrate our dogs or celebrate our animals on, uh, you, actually, let's do it this way. Let's do it over on Telegram. Everybody who is in Telegram, if you want to take a minute and post your pictures of your dogs, whether the divas, bitches, or bastards, whatever you want to call them, throw it up in Telegram, and I would love to see them. I just, I love, yeah, there's something special about dogs. <laughs> Ted says Chai Weenies. That's a great name. And uh, Gunner says, um, the Pitmation is not too little at all, 80 pounds, one heck of a lap dog. And, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I, I love dogs. I love weird breeds of dogs. They're a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm no expert. We're probably, we, anyway, we probably spoil our dogs too much. And I'm definitely looking forward to having a conversation with Joel on what I can do different because it would just be nice to be able to keep them from barking quite as often as they do. But they're great uh, alert dogs. So if I'm in the basement and I hear them barking, all I got to do is bring up the security cameras and I know, hey, I'm all set. So they are good that way. And uh, John Paul, oh yeah, you guys will have to go by. If you're not in the Telegram group and you want to see some seriously sweet, cute pictures of dogs, 
come by and check them out because John Palmer just melted my heart with that little wiener dog of his. That's really cute. So, okay, guys, we've been an hour and 15 minutes. This has been a great episode. I think we should leave it on a high note since uh, nobody can really beat pictures of cute little dogs. So let's leave it at that. We will file this episode away as a really interesting experiment. I loved it. Thank you guys for sticking with me and giving me enough to talk about. Although, you know, I always have enough to talk about anyway. Becky will tell you that. So yes, come by, join the Telegram group, post some pictures of your dogs. I'd love to see it. And we will reschedule with Joel down the road. So I apologize. Shit happens. We're all good. You guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. <laughs>